listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. As Kelly's um, set up for us and described so well, Advent is the season um, that we prepare ourselves and we invite the Spirit to prepare us. Um, it's one of my favorite times of year. I know for a lot of us, um, it is. Uh, this, the sounds of the music um, that we sing in church and hear everywhere else, um, that commemorate the birth of Christ, the arrival of God's Son to this earth. Um, and, you know, as we celebrate, I think it's appropriate. There have been historians that have argued, and probably so, that Jesus wasn't born in the middle of winter. Um, but I do think there's something significant about us celebrating Advent and walking through Advent and Christmas when the days are getting shorter, when the darkness is a little more accentuated. Um, this is our world in many ways, right? Uh, Isaiah wrote about it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of what? Of deep darkness. On them has light shone. This light, listen friends, this is all about light. But light comes into darkness. And so while there's a part of me that wants to come into Christmas with really um, just a lot of enthusiasm and energy and a lot of celebration and, you know, good vibes, right? Uh, it's a little depressing to start here, but this is where we have to start. We have to start with the reality of darkness because Jesus came to a messy, dark world. And so if it's going to really be a celebration of light, we have to start by recognizing that there is darkness and that our world is full of darkness and God knew this. And people ask, where is God in the darkness? Where is God in the brokenness? Where is God in the hurt? Where is God in all the things that we see on the news each day? And I say, Christmas reminds us exactly where he is. He has come and dwelt among us. And one day he will come again and he will make all things right again. But in the meantime, we have this opportunity to, to show the light, to reveal the light. I remember as a little kid, I grew up, um, my house was on a, about a two acre piece of land in a small town and my grandparents lived on the front of the property and we lived on the back of the property. Now this was very convenient when I was in elementary school and I would get dropped off the bus and I had to go by my grandmother's house on the way home. Anybody understand? Like, I know I said, grandparents, your job is not to spoil your children, but you know, there's a little bit to that, right? 
Um, I would stop by my grandparents' house on the way home and, you know, and so every day I would walk between my grandparents' house and my house as a little kid. Um, but I can still remember, uh, I can still remember walking in the middle of the night on a very familiar trail that I walked all the time. And in the middle, right in the middle, you know, there weren't a lot, I didn't live in the city. There weren't a lot of lights. And it would get really, it would get really dark between my house and my grandparents' house. And I can remember in the middle of the night getting scared along the way in the dark. And even being disoriented, not sure where I was. Think about this. On a, on a trail that I had walked almost every day, I felt lost. Why? Because of the darkness that had surrounded me, because I couldn't see what was around me, because I was afraid I would trip or that there was something lurking in the shadows. Um, life can be like that, can it? In the middle of our everyday, ordinary life, unexpectedly, the darkness can create fear and anxiety and trouble because we don't know what is around the corner. And here's what I wanna remind us of today. If that's you, and when I talk about the darkness in our world, if it, if it resonates all too well because maybe you're walking through it now or maybe you have and you know the sting of that, then I wanna encourage you. You know, you know the way. Jesus has shown us the way. And so what do we do when we're not sure where we are, when we're not sure what's around us, and when, when we're afraid, or when, when it feels like the darkness is overwhelming? What do we do? We keep going in the right direction, friends. Knowing that the light will, the light will come. You see, this, this world offers many ways, many ways that fall short, many ways to cope, many ways to deal with the reality of darkness, um, but there is one way. There is a way of hope, and there is a way of peace, and there is a way of life. This is the way, Jesus says, this is the way. I've shown you the way. Um, there's, there's a, uh, if, in case you missed it, the Disney company bought out the Star Wars franchise. Anybody from Star, we have some Star Wars fans in the house, a few, raise your hands, admit it, okay. Um, but, but one of, Disney launched this new streaming show, the, the, uh, the Mandalorian, the series, The Mandalorian. Maybe you became fans of that, um, but there's a character in The Mandalorian that repeatedly has this catchphrase um, because they invented ethical, uh, a new code of ethics. And Mando is his name, and Mando repeatedly employs this phrase, this is the way. This is the way. It reflected this moral compass and code that, the, that they would operate out of. It helped guide the Mandalorian people in a particular direction. Jesus came to say to us, this is the way, but not just this is the way, 
but I am the way. Jesus wanted us to know the way to the Father. The question is, what is what does that mean? And that's what we're going to unpack today a little bit. What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the way, or this is the way? In the Old Testament, we're told about people who walked with God. In fact, if we go very, back to the very beginning, this is so critical to the rest of the story. When we see Adam and Eve in the garden, when all is right, when there is no darkness, when everything is good, before sin enters the world, we're told that they walked with God, that they walked with God. But we know sin and doesn't take very long, chapter three of Genesis, sin enters the picture and rebellion and chaos ensue and, and all of humanity is after power, there's greed, and God's whole created order is disrupted by human will. But we see God begin to, uh, to, to work out his redemption plan. He hasn't given up on creation. He's going to restore what was broken in the beginning. And so along the way, we see different characters that the Bible says they walked with God. They walked with God. We might just pass by that when we read scripture and not really see the significance of what it's pointing to. It's pointing us back to Genesis. It's pointing us to this reality that God wants to have relationship with us, that God created us to know him and to walk with him. And walking with him is a companionship and, and a collaborative uh, co uh, co-laborers in caring for and stewarding all of creation and making sure that light is what we experience, that God wants to push back the darkness. And he invites us to walk with him as we do this. There's this, there's this picture of, of a side-by-side walk, of following together and, and us following the movement of our creator. And when Jesus comes along, he is the full revelation of this God of creation. He is the one who invites the disciples to follow him, to walk with him. He is the one who commissions the disciples to go because he has created, he has made a way for them to restore them to relationship with him. And all along he shows them the way by his teaching and by his ministry, he shows them the way to life. This one word though can be a little confusing, can it? Way, like how do we unpack this? There are too many uses for this word in English, really. No way, yes way, which way should we go? Carry on, my wayward son, I wish I could sing it. Or old blue eyes saying, my way, right? I did it my way. Some of you think we paid our coach way too much. Is that too soon? No. Um, we don't need directions. I know the way. Anybody said that? That was a little too loud over here. Um, Feeder roads in Houston, what are they? They're all one way, right? 
uh, it's my way or the highway. You know, we use way, the word way, way too many different ways. <laughs> so what do we make of Jesus saying, I am the way? What does that really mean? Um, Dr. Joe Donjel, uh, one of our professors at Asbury in his commentary on John 14 said it this way. I want you to hear these words. The destination Jesus had in view was the Father. Or better yet, relationship with the Father. The pathway towards such a relationship was Jesus himself. Jesus told Philip, his disciple, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? So to travel to the Father on the way of Jesus requires faith in Jesus as the one in whom the Father resided. You see, there's this big word, theological word incarnation that we use. And if you didn't grow up in the church and that's foreign to you, incarnation just means that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That God became a human being. And there's a mystery to it, but God became human so that we would know who God was. God didn't send instructions on the way back to, remember, this is all about back to the beginning, back to what God created, to walk with God, to have a relationship with God. And he didn't just create, give us instructions. He didn't send you a manual. He sent a person. He came himself. And he took on flesh and he lived among us. And this is all this, there's a foreshadowing if we pay attention. All of this is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. If we go back to the Israelites and their journey from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, this key narrative in the whole uh, first part of scripture in the Torah, this is key. And God does so much that's fulfilled in Jesus in this section. And one of the things he does is he, he tabernacles. He creates a tabernacle. He says that he wants to dwell among them and so he gives them a physical way to understand this reality of God's presence coming to dwell and to live among them. He gives them this, you know, there's this organization Habitat for Humanity that builds homes for those who are in need. Um, and you could say that, Jesus, that God created a, a habitat for divinity. You know, it's not, listen, it's not because God was somehow constrained to one particular place, but it's because our minds are constrained to understand his presence. Our minds are limited in our view of God and the Israelites' view of God was so limited that he's, I believe that he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that expresses my presence because my presence is what I want you to know. My presence is what I long for you to experience. And so in Exodus 25, um, we have these words that are spoken to, to Moses. When God says, speak to the children of Israel, let them build for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You will make it according to all that I've shown, that I sh will show you for the pattern of the tabernacle. Now, listen, if you haven't read all the details, I'm not gonna read them this morning because they're detailed. 
And God is very specific about how he wants the Israelites to build this. And he's very precise. And he says, in the pattern of all the furnishings. Because there's so much more than when we read it today. We miss a lot of it. There's so much that God built into the tabernacle. And then eventually, the tabernacle was the, was the prototype of the temple. And we can have a longer conversation about the temple and whether whether God really wanted it or if he, if he gave it to them like they asked for a king and he gave them a king or whatnot. But I believe that God chooses to come to us in ways that we understand. And so this was a way that the Israelites would understand this reality of his presence among them. And so I actually have an image of the tabernacle I wanna show you and I want you to, to see something significant. There, there are different um, there are different realms within the tabernacle from an entrance and then a court and then the, the, the temple area and then the Holy of Holies. Eventually in the, in the, the temple would, would be modeled after the tabernacle, but as they were traveling through the wilderness, wherever they stopped along the way, they would set up the tabernacle as a place of worship. And the point here is that you had to go through several uh, uh, kind of gateways or entrances in order to access the presence of God. But the ultimate destination for the priest uh, as a mediator for all the people was the presence of God, to be with God and to offer sacrifice in that place. But in order to enter into the presence of God, you had to pass through several entrances. And some have actually uh, suggested that the Israelites would refer to these entrances, these passageways, these thresholds as the way, the truth, and the life that lead us into the presence of God. And when Jesus is crucified, the temple is torn, and access is now granted to all of us because of the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. The one who lived among us. As John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, some translations, modern paraphrases, say that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. You know, I like, it literally dwelt among us, literally in Hebrew, it's tabernacled among us. This is what Jesus had in mind when he this is what John had in mind when he's writing these words. This is what John, Jesus had in mind, I think, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's all about restored relationship with God. Because when we walk with God, we experience his light, even in the darkness of this world. God wants you to know hope. He wants you to know joy. He wants you to know peace. But he knows that we live in a broken and fallen world. And that is not, that is not indicative of the circumstances that surround us so often. 
And Jesus says, I want you to know these things. I want you to know that I come to bring you access to the Father. The second Corinthians says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to him. He was restoring what was broken. He was bringing us back. He was tabernacling among us so that we might know the hope of eternity. We might know this hope that outlasts the darkness. We might know this reality of God among us. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, he's our VIP access <laughs> to all of the things that our hearts long for. As I said in the beginning, the world offers many ways many ways to try to make it work, many ways to try to make it right again because we know what darkness and brokenness in our world is. And there are so many things that our world throws at us and says, if you just do this, if you embrace this way of thinking, it might be pleasure, it might be distractions, it might be significance, it might even be religion. Jesus says it's not about any of those things, it's about me. And I'm inviting you into relationship with the Father. I'm giving you VIP access. Do you know how you get VIP access? Anybody ever had VIP access at a concert, at a ball game or something like that? Exactly, right here. <laughs> Actually, there's two ways. You gotta have a whole lot of money. You gotta have a whole lot of money or you gotta know somebody. Listen, the same is true spiritually for us, except none of us have enough. And the world says, the world says you can do it in lots of different ways. And Jesus says there's only one way, I am the VIP access, I am the star of the show. And when you know the star of the show, Listen, you got VIP access when you know the star of the show. Amen. And when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, to Philip, to his disciples, he's reminding, he's telling them what they can't see, which is right in front of them. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon them later, they would see it. And it's why they were willing to go to their death because they knew there was only one way to live. There was only one because they had seen it with their eyes. They had seen God in fullness before them. And Jesus encountered many people who were trying all sorts of other things. And each time he, he showed them a different way. How about Nicodemus, who thought all of his religiosity, all of his rule following as a Pharisee, all of the things. But when he encountered Jesus, there was something different. There was something, there was something different and unique and and he was drawn to him, but he was a little afraid of, of what the others would say. And so he goes to him at night and Jesus says, it's not about all the rules. You must be born again. You know who buried Jesus? You know who was there to take care of the body? Nicodemus. Changed him. A religious man who realized his religiosity was never gonna save him but the way, the truth, and the life would. 
He didn't see it all at once, but he stayed curious and he kept going in the right way, in the right direction. Or in the very next chapter in John, I love how John kind of just gives us all these encounters with Jesus and, and, he, and he gives us an encounter with a woman at the well. The woman at the well who had lived a life that had led to shame. The woman at the well who, who, was, who was there in the middle of the day when nobody else would be there because she was tired of hearing all the whispers and the gossip. And Jesus came to her and met her and talked about living water. And I don't know about you, but I believe all of us find ourselves from time to time believing one of those two things, believing that religion will get us there. If we just do enough right things, maybe we can pay for it. Or believing that we're not good enough and that Jesus would never invite us, never, not me, I would never have VIP, I'm not an important person. I'm not good enough. And our shame and our guilt prevent us from receiving what Jesus is offering us, new life, redeemed life, access to the Father. He says to us today, I am the way. Will you trust me? Not trust yourself and not let your past or your failures or your regrets prevent you from receiving the grace that I offer. That's what we do when we come to this table. His spirit invites us to this table when we repent of our sins and invite him to be Lord of all, the way, the truth, and the life. And so I wanna invite you to prepare your hearts and Kelly to come and lead us. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.